welcome to Focused on Life, where we'll be laser focused on all things that have to do with defending human dignity, human rights, and yes, human life at every stage and phase of development. I am your host, Uju. And I am your other host, Matt. And we are thrilled to be here today. Hello, Matt. Hi, Uju. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really, really well, Matt. Just um, busy kind of taking in everything happening around us, uh, you know, at this time of the year. And, you know, and uh, it's interesting to follow some of the news and things coming up here and there. So, um, yeah, I guess I can say I'm well, but just uh, observant and being trying to focus Trying to be trying to be focused on all things that have to do with all the things that we're interested in, which is life dignity. And um yeah. That's, that's right. It. There is a lot happening in the world right now. And um today we will be talking about one of those things. Uh yes. that's that's been uh it's it's I guess it is it is becoming the untouchable aspect of society. The thing mm. you can't criticize, you can't even question. <laughs> And uh, what are we talking about, Uju? Something that will make some people upset. We're talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> that is feminism. Feminism. That is, you know, the untouchable aspect of life. Now, it's the one thing that if you say you are not a feminist, you know, people look at you like saying, oh, you are not in support of like freedom for everybody right so so it's um it's it's an it's a very difficult topic to tackle but yes because you and i uh maybe we're not thinking a lot about about the consequences we're still going to go head headlong today to discuss this by ourselves and and kind of try to delve into this topic of feminism that's right and feminism is really it's been uh from our time working at the un and uh, or attending the various un events Yes. And even in Canada and the UK, it seems like it's the the number one driving force for foreign policy for many mm-hmm. of the governments in the West. That is right. Uh, in Canada, I mean, we have the Feminist International Assistance Policy. <laughs> it's the name. <laughs> it's in the name. Uh, and uh, and there's a lot of money behind it. You know, I think yes. uh, uh, Justin Trudeau is committing $1.4 billion mm. per year towards this Feminist International Assistance Policy. Uh, so we know that it drives foreign policy. We know that it drives our pop culture. Everyone's mm-hmm. talking about it, like you mentioned. Yeah. If you if if you say, well, I'm not really a feminist. Well, that means you must hate women. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, I, I, you don't hate women. I mean, you are a woman. So uh, I, I'm oh, I'm, I'm married to a woman. So I clearly <laughs> don't hate women. Um, uh, so uh, there is a lot going on right now in today's world. And we're going to try to unpack that. What does yes. feminism look like in the West? Uh, I think, Uju, you're going to give us a little bit of a lesson about the history of feminism, because I think we need to know where it comes from to fully understand it. Mm -hmm. And then I think we're going to look at what does feminism look like in other parts of the world, uh, mainly in the African continent. Yeah. And we'll look a bit into what's going on in Latin America, because I think the feminist movement there has also become a core part of societal living out there. Obviously they definitely do feel the, you know, the, the, feminist move the activities of the feminist movement i think anybody in latin america would have heard what is going on or seen what is going on that has been driven by the feminist movement but all of that we will unpack in this very episode so 
Ooh, I'm excited already. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess, Uju, um, what is what is the history of feminism? I know you've done a lot of talks about this issue, this particular issue. Yes. Um, and you've uh, it's it's you've written about it in your book as well. Um, yes. So what why why are we in this position today when it comes to feminism and and i would even dare to say this sort of radical feminism mhm okay so i think that it we will really be missing something important if we are going to delve into feminism or dare to unpack feminism without looking at where feminism has come from so the feminist movement i think um came from the very core or heart of the women's rights movement, which would have been, you know, you know, a, a very sort of new movement from the 1800s at the time. Um, it, around the time of the American Civil War, some women in the United States had um, started asking for women's some women's rights so the particular one that they rallied a lot of women rallied around was the right to vote the suffrage um the right to be for women to be enfranchised so for them to be able to vote at elections but they were also asking for some other things that we don't hear a lot about which would be things like uh, being for women to be able to get the same level of education as men. So, for example, being admitted into into some higher institutions at the time, like, you know, Harvard University, some of the other older universities at the time when they started, many of these universities started, they were only open to male applicants. So women were asking for the right to be able to get into any profession they wanted. Um, they were also asking for things like property rights and, you know, for women to be able to be perhaps a bit more independent in society. So it was a heartfelt movement. It was a movement that garnered a lot of support among women, obviously, you know, because every woman was affected by by all of those things that were happening in the world at the time. And of course, it did spread because uh, in the at the beginning of the 20th century, so around the 1910s, 1915, 1920s, uh, during the time, during and around the time of the First World War, even in Great Britain, um, there were women who had also gathered around the same kinds of issues and they founded this uh, group called the women, the women's social and political union. So we had uh, several women's rights groups popping up, and that was really due to the need, the need for women to be respected in society, the, the, the need for women to be raised in dignity, the, the need for women to be recognized as sort of active members of society who would be able to contribute to society in the same way that men were contributing to different careers, to different professions, for women to be able to get to this point where they're being protected by their, their societies. So this, for me, I looking at the historical aspect of the women's rights movement, and yes, in a way, the feminist movement, which many people now refer to as a first wave feminism, 
I felt it was a very important movement. And we saw great women rise within those movements like Susan B. Anthony. Many of us have heard of her. Alice Paul. This was in the United States. In the United Kingdom, you had women like Emily Davison. You have Janet Boyd. You had Doreen Allen. Some of these great women who rose up to say, you know, we want to be able to, to vote in elections and decide what happens in our society. We want to be able to practice as doctors and lawyers. And, and many of them, you know, these were women, you know, powerful women within their own rights, right? So they were also women who were able to stand back and look at the kinds of problems that women were were experiencing in society, some of the abusive aspects of their society at the time, and started off this um, movement or this appeal for temperance. And I don't know, you know, any Catholic might know, or even any Christian would know what temperance is. They were advocating for men to kind of stay away from alcoholism because they felt and they had traced some of the problems that women were experiencing to things like uh, indulging in alcoholism and things like that and the objectification of women. So they were asking for temperance at the time. And this was a very important movement in my opinion. So fast forward a little bit to the 1960s. So we're moving now from the 1800s, the late 1800s to early 1900s. And then you're now getting to mid 20th century. You then had women who started rising up following the Second World War, who were complaining about the fact that Oh, women, too many women were being encouraged to become housewives. You know, women were not, um, you know, they were kind of tying themselves too much to this ideal of marriage and children and the fact that women's lives, you know, women felt more fulfilled in their lives when they become wives and when they become mothers. So the maternal role of women, the nuptial, nuptial role, role of women, and so you then had a second group of women rising up to complain about this part of this part of society. Women like uh, Bet, uh, Betty Friedan, who had written, in fact, one of the, I say one of the most important books that then powered the feminist society or the feminist movement that we're seeing now. And that was The Feminine Mystique, very important book that was published in 1963, became a bestseller. And in the book, I mean, her own premise was the fact that she was trying to discourage this uh, view of women as, as mothers and as wives. But the problem was that the more you get into this book and the more you get into her writing, you would find out that the she was laying the foundation to the life that we are seeing now in her chapter one she was talking about women um having too many children and the increasing birth rate in society but what do we have now from 1963 to now you know 2023 we are having kind of a the opposite of that she was complaining that women were getting married too early at this point women are turning 35 36 40 and they're not even married you're having more people you know, ending up as single career women than ever before. You are having less children born in society or fewer children born in society than ever before. The lowest reproductive um, uh, sort of reproductive rates and birth rates in 
Western country. So this American woman who had uh, with all the women who were around her and sort of women who were of the same mindset gathered together around this kind of thought around the book that she wrote, which became almost like a manifesto and they formed the second wave movement. And of course, if you can calculate what was happening around the 1963s when when the book was published you would know that's when the abortion movement really really started so that is really the connection between the feminist movement and the and the abortion movement as we know it today so by 10 years later after after the feminine mystique came out uh you then had the the legalization of abortion in the united states you had enough enough momentum for this legalized abortion to happen within 10 years, not just in America, but in Canada, in the United Kingdom, in France. I mean, France came in the 1970s, but it was all lined or linked to this sort of thought from women who were um, you know, you know, coming up with these kinds of academic thoughts, kind of bound to the their own personal issues, bound to what was also happening in society at the time. So it it really became a thing and led us to the second movement, second wave of the movement, which was about reproductive justice. And now we have gone all the way from there to the third wave of the feminism, which at this point, I don't even think we can link it to any particular academic thought, or or you can say, but it's just, it it would have things to do with like bodily autonomy and, um, you know, sort of us being able to choose our own gender identity, our sexual orientation. So we jokingly say that women's rights movement went from the point in the 1910s and 1920s where women are asking genuinely for the government to add women's toilets into public buildings to now when they're now asking for government to remove women's toilets so that men who dress as women can come in and you know share the toilets with us so the the third wave feminism and sort of the fourth wave feminism is now this movement this amorphous movement that is becoming a monster a radical monster that is all about women being able to do sex work if they want, women having abortion as much as they want, women having, you know, uh, being able to chase their careers in whatever ways they wanted, even in things like pornography as they want, Um, women being able to yeah, men being able to identify as women, actually, you know, that's also part of the movement. And if you are anybody who uh, who would say otherwise or who would oppose it in any way, uh, the feminist movement would already label you as TERF, which is the new derogatory thing. And that is what is going on with people like, uh, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling and some of these well-known women who have formerly been, uh, you know, advocates of the second and first, second and third wave feminism. And they are now being kind of rejected and being ostracized from the feminist movement, which is what we now have as the untouchable part of our society. That's Uju. That is, uh, well, thank you for that really <laughs> great history lesson. Um, it is fascinating. I think, uh, I love what you, what you said there about, uh, the, the original feminists, right? Trying to advocate for washrooms in public buildings so that women yeah. can go to the washroom in these facilities. Yeah. And then to today where they are, uh, removing women's washrooms, um, they're removing essentially what they're doing is they're removing womanhood. 
they're removing yes. what it means to be a woman, what it means to be female. Yes. Um, and uh, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. It's it's come full circle, right? It and, has come full circle, Matt. And 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 you see this everywhere. I mean, like you you know, you look at that the documentary, what is a woman, and how that exploded, and how much how how the feminist movements of today were just just so angry at something like that, at that simple question, right? Yes. Uh, you look today at there are athletes, female athletes who are just amazing athletes yes. who are being pushed out of their sport, the sport that they've been they've committed their whole life to. And now they're being pushed out by all these, essentially, these dudes who weren't good enough to face other guys. And now they yeah. decide to identify as women. And now they're just completely... They're leading. They're leading. They're completely destroying women's sports. Um, yeah. Is that really what the feminists of, you know, 100, 200 years ago envisioned? I don't... I thought, on the contrary, Matt. I, I think that even the fact that women, we we those of us who were born in the 80s and 90s or, you know, what have you, we came into this society, whatever society we have come from or to into, we got to encounter women's sports. But any simple look at history would, would show you that women's sports is fairly new. It's something that was fought for by the feminist movement, the women's rights movement. There were women in sports who were fighting in the 50s and 60s and 70s for women to be able to to be able to get into sports, to be able to compete, uh, and then to be able to participate and to be able to go to the Olympics. You know, all of these things were very hard fought um, rights, if you like. So the fact that we kind of took for granted that we were uh, at the time when we were growing up you'd be watching the olympics for example and you're watching the women's football or or the women's um, tennis or the women's swimming category and the men's you know women's figure skating or you know so where we came into a world and i think that is why we took it for granted that we could see that oh yeah there are women's sports and there are men's sports and those of us who are girls growing up in different societies you know some of us had aspired to athletics or you know various kinds of sports i myself when i was in primary school and secondary school i was actually in uh in a track events so I, it was very inspiring to look up to women who were going to the olympics and who were doing their thing and, and you know it, it was just wonderful to behold but then the same feminist movement that won these victories and won these rights and won these very um important spaces in society like women's sports is the same movement that has now morphed into this beast into this monster that is now telling women that they have to open up these spaces that were hard worn to men who identify as women it's incredible it's definitely incredible. this is not what the, what the earlier feminists would have wanted because they were fighting particularly against these particular things yes and before we jump into the some examples of this kind of like feminist abortion movements or the feminist movements the women's strikes and the women's marches i do yes. want to just mention something and maybe this is a topic for a future episode uju so i'm just gonna just slightly kind of plant a seed here but 
you know, you mentioned a lot of this uh, kind of this new wave feminism, this radical feminism that rejected motherhood, rejected uh, essentially the family. Yes. Um, was in the 60s. And in the 60s, we all know, well, what happened in the 60s? There was the widespread use of contraception for the first oh, time. Yes. Right. Definitely. And yes. I remember and I remember actually in um, in when I was back in school, I wrote a paper. This was like it was I, we had to do a presentation uh, and then we had to do, do a and deliver it orally in front of the classroom. And I had a lot of uh, feminists in my class. So I thought, why don't I just do a presentation about the con- about the birth control pill? <laughs> <laughs> and this is before I was even, you know, a, a pro-life uh, activist, you know, per se. I was just just a student. And and uh, I, I probably man, I don't know what I was drinking back then, but I thought, why not? Let's let's go into this one. And I wrote a paper and I presented this about how all the things that the birth control pill promised women, it promised mm-hmm. them women's liberation, uh, sexual freedom. It promised them, uh, you know, careers and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, if you fast forward, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, what ended up happening? These were all false promises. They were all lies because what ended yeah. up happening is abortion increased the objectification of women increase and you see it yeah. everywhere in our culture through pornography through, through right. pop culture everywhere uh, you have surrogacies you essentially have women who are selling their bodies so mm-hmm. they could carry babies for you know for two men who want to have yes. a child that's um, right you have the a breakdown of families you have the increase of divorces you have more uh, common law partnerships so you don't mm-hmm. actually have committed single you know committed monogamous relationships anymore so it yeah. seems like and then of course are women truly sexually liberated i would mm-hmm. I, I argued in my presentation uh which it probably didn't it didn't have the best response from my feminist <laughs> classmates <laughs> but what i argued is that in in fact instead of sexual liberation it created uh like it, it enslaved women sexually Right. Yeah. And that's right. Again, this is and I, I do believe that this whole feminist abortion movement, the feminist movements of today, it's not about freedom. They are they think mm-hmm. they're fighting for their own freedom. But really what they're doing is they're just uh, they're they're fighting for their right to remain slaves to mm-hmm. all these evils, abortion, birth control, all and all these other things. Anyhow, yeah. that's a topic that I'm sure we can talk about in a different episode. Uh, oh, about I the birth look forward control. to that episode. <laughs> but, uh, I look the... forward to that episode and all the people who will be triggered by it, Raj. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was my, I like to do these rants every once in a while. So that was my rant for today. Uh, but that's I, it. <laughs> but I do uh, want to talk about the, the, the feminist movements that are happening in the West currently. Mm-hmm. And maybe not, I mean, we've been seeing them for the past 15, 20 years. Yes, uh, but it seems like in the last five years, man, oh man, it's just blown up. And I have to say, they have been successful in some parts of the world in helping Very. to helping to legalize, you know, abortion. If we're going to stick to abortion, this abortion issue, they have mm-hmm. been very successful. Uh, you mentioned in South America, you know, the green wave. Uh, you have all these uh, thousands of women waving green bandanas around. Yeah. Um, when it comes to uh, legalizing abortion in some of these historically very pro-life countries. Um, yeah. You have in Poland, even when the Supreme Court uh, ruled uh, in favor of life, uh, you had the women's strikes uh, like these, these, uh, I think they were called black Mondays and all these women would come out in black uh, wearing mm-hmm. black shirts and black pants and they had black umbrellas and they wanted to protest and fight against uh, uh, Poland's, 
restrictive abortion laws, right? The fact that Poland was one of the few countries in the world that still valued the right to life and that every human being deserves to be, you know, has the right to be born. And then you see again in, you know, in other places like Ireland with the, uh, the repeal, the eighth amendment a few years ago, once again, who was the one protesting in the streets? Well, it was these radical feminist groups. Feminists, that's right. Which were also, you know, uh, here's another uh, layer to the situation. They were all funded by these huge multi-million dollar pro-abortion organizations like Amnesty International, for example. In Ireland, leading up to the vote, they put out millions of dollars in ads uh, to protest and to take to the streets and to essentially rally the you know these militant feminists to uh to create to create chaos in the streets so that they would change public opinion and i think they did it by scaring everyone to vote the wrong way oh for sure amnesty international in august of 2020 uh or august of 2018 one of them this was just when they were about to vote Uh, The Senate was about to vote on the abortion bill. Amnesty International took out a full-paged colored ad. This was, mind you, this was happening in Argentina, but Amnesty International took out a full-colored-paged ad at the New York Times, Matt. The New York Times, who knows how much it costs to take out a full page, not a half page, but a full-page colored ad. Warning, putting forward a warning for... Uh, senators to vote the right way, quote unquote, the right way, because women are dying because abortion is not legalized That's right. yet. That's right. And they did this in Argentina, in Ireland, and they did it, they did it in Argentina. Poland. They did it, yeah. Wherever um, uh, abortion or wherever the protection of the legal protection of human beings in the womb is being mm. threatened, yeah. Amnesty International will be there on the ground trying to rally the troops. And, you know, for those listening, uh, and I, I wrote a, I think I even mentioned this earlier, but I, I did write an article about Amnesty International's kind of break away from their, you know, traditional, uh, you know, not not necessarily a pro-life position, but they weren't pro-abortion. That's for sure. Yeah, they you were a human rights organization. That's right. Human, I remember mm-hmm. writing letters in school to prisoners, you know, yeah. in different countries uh, who were... Because of Amnesty. <laughs> because of Amnesty International. Yeah. Amnesty International is not your grandparents' charity and organization anymore. They are... Yeah. They are rabidly pro-abortion. They they they've changed their mandate, and now their their reason of existence is to uh, break down. You know, in, this is their words, not ours. To break down legal barriers to abortion, to empower mm-hmm. women, to you know, legalize abortion where it remains illegal. And you know, even even organizations like Women Deliver. You know, when Justin Trudeau announced his six hundred and fifty million dollar you know, commitment towards sexual and reproductive health and rights in the world. He made that announcement at a woman deliver conference. Of course. So, so not only are these Western feminist organizations and these feminist movements uh, everywhere, wherever there is, you know, protection for babies in the womb, they are going to be there trying to uh, legalize abortion. Yeah. But they're all funded. They're all being funded by our governments. Yeah. They're being funded. They are sitting on a lot of money. They are receiving a lot of money. And many of these dollars and pounds and euros that they're receiving are actually from taxpayers. For anybody who is still kind of sitting on the fence or anybody who is still not decided as to, you know, whether to support abortion or not, just know that whatever you believe, anyway, your tax dollars are going to to 
you know, governments and through governments to third party organizations that are then there on the ground fighting to legalize abortion, putting out ads, you know, expensive ads in tele on television, in newspapers, um, you know, paying six figure salaries to some of the executives just so that they can go out and keep promoting abortion. Yep. So this is what the feminist movement in, in various Western or Western countries, as well as, you know, some Latin American countries are sitting on, they are sitting on, on, on a very well, let's say they're sitting on, on, money they're sitting on money and they are running on money the 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 what propels them is the kind of money that they are getting which is a far cry from where the women's rights movements have come because these days is no longer so much about you know improving the lives of women it is now outright let us have the right to kill unborn babies um let us have the right to open up our toilets to men who dress up as women. Um, let people have the right to be able to get into any sports they want or get into any facility they want, even if those are safe spaces or protected spaces reserved for women. That's what the feminist movement has become, which is kind of the opposite of what it was meant to be. So um that's right. You're it a, is, it's rather unfortunate. You're a you're a feminist fighting for essentially to remove what it means to be feminine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so, feminism against the feminine, right? Fem it's... Feminism against <laughs> women. That's right. <laughs> Jeez. And um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating what's happened and what's happening everywhere around the world. Uh, yeah. And I mean, listen, you mentioned South America and the green wave and yes. uh, a lot of there was a lot of noise happening in Argentina over the years. And now we just had there's been this new sh political shift in Argentina. Oh, yes. President <laughs> has been elected. Yeah. Uh, and um, I need to do more research about this guy and his and his vice president. Uh, but it seems like he's very much anti-abortion. And it seems like all the feminist groups are like they are very disappointed in this result yeah they're devastated they were i saw it online the other day they were devastated crying on the streets and everything so it's always nice mad we don't know about this new uh president or the newly elected but um we can see from all indications that the the feminist movement the feminist abortion movement the green the green tide or green wave as they call themselves the maria verdi they are crying on the street and i can say to you man if i see them crying i'll rejoice over those tears so <laughs> 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 it mean of me to say but honestly uh let's drink let's drink up their tears as they say, <laughs> as they say in the conservative movement it's like the tears of the liberals, the tears of the abortion movement in this case, if somebody is crying because they feel threatened that they can no longer push for their abortion agenda, I'd say let them cry more. And I'd say let us be more attentive at doing what we're doing best, which is standing up and speaking up for life of mothers as well as their babies. Right. That's right. So, and, so. and you know what? <laughs> the pro-life movement has been there the whole time. Right. Because the, yes. the, the antidote to the green wave was the blue wave. Oh yeah. And I remember meeting some 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 people from South America uh, at the UN and they came with all their wonderful baby blue bandanas blue and all scarves, the blue yeah. scarves and everything and yeah. and I was like what what are you guys doing like what is this and they <laughs> said well we're we're here as the antidote to the green wave we're here to fight back and push back and you know what as as successful as some of these feminist movements have been in some places like South America 
Yeah. Uh, the blue wave has also been extremely successful because in yeah. South America, it seems like country after country are starting to, uh, you know, are starting to put in legal protections for the, for children in the womb, whether it's in their constitution. You know, even in the country of Guatemala, they've identified themselves as the pro-life capital of South America, which is just amazing to see. And I think, um, you know, there's going to be some good things happening in the future. And, um, you know, and even when these feminists, they're the ones, you know, vandalizing churches. They're the ones, you know, breaking in during masses and interrupting religious services. They're burning down and vandalizing pro-life centers and pregnancy care centers. You know, um, the pro-life movement is always there fighting back, pushing back. And I mean, we're not pushing and fighting back. Peacefully, though. (laughs) Uh, We're not doing it with violence. Yeah, exactly. We're not doing it with graffiti. We're doing it with peace and love and smiles Mm. in our faces. But most importantly, we are doing it with the truth, with a capital T. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so and that's the way it is so that is the situation in the west do you uh yeah. it's it's pretty messy there's a lot of chaos but there's a lot of hope as well but yes. my question to you is is there even such thing as a feminist movement in africa and other parts of the world what is that what does feminism even look like uh, how is that even defined is there even a definition you know last, last <laughs> episode we talked about uh, how the word abortion there is no word for abortion or anything that yeah. can mean or anything that can make it mean something good in yes. so many different languages uh, in yeah. hundreds of communities throughout the continent. What about feminism? What does that look like in Africa? Oh, so this is why, this is in fact, Mac, why I have enjoyed getting into his, the history of the feminist movement. Because obviously, when I started hearing about feminism, you know, I was hearing about it from the two sides, you know, people who kind of agree with it, people who don't agree with it. But I decided to do research for myself. And then I went back to trace what was happening, to look at the earlier movements. And when I started looking at what was happening in the world back in the 1800s, back in the early 1900s, I was saying to myself, hold on. I kind of recognize some of these fights that women are having or women were having in, in, you know, in the United States, in Great Britain, in Ireland and places like that back in the, in the 19, early 1900s. What am I talking about? I am talking about things like property rights, women being able to inherit property from their fathers or, you know, from their families. Um, I'm talking about widow's rights. When a woman's husband dies, what usually happens? I'm talking about even the fact that um, the there was this attitude back then um, that propelled the feminist movement, the attitude towards women seeking higher education and trying to to get say to the pinnacle of a particular career so to me i immediately recognized oh my goodness i know what this is i grew up in an african community yes i was very fortunate uh, where i grew up was in a very kind of educated community my parents were teachers my father was a professor at the university I went to university I had female um, some of my professors were women I have been privileged to have many many friends and relations who are women working in medicine and uh, you know law and and no female judges I know all kinds of women with all backgrounds uh, in from the community that I come from however I also recognize the fact that in many of the rural, and I say this, um, you know, I say this with great care, 
Many of the rural African communities up until very recently, and even up until now in some of those societies, are still having problems with things like women inheriting property from their families, with things like women, uh, widows, being able to inherit everything that their husbands have left for them, with issues like women being able to gain custody of their children even after their husbands have died, because many of those societies are actually very quite patriarchal. So if, say, a woman's husband dies and then she has to marry Again, you know, many times her husband's family would want to take her children from her. So I did recognize many of these, um, many of these issues that were burning issues that for me, it, it did strike a chord. And so the African feminist movement or the African women's rights movement, I'd say is necessary to start with in order for women to be raised in dignity and for us to have this um, sort of incontrovertible position in society of dignity, of equal, you know, that we be, that we be recognized as equal in dignity as, and worth as every man in society. And even in some of these African communities, you can see the, the zeal and the eagerness to have a male child, you know, and, and all of these things and the value that is added to, or the premium that is put on women having male children in marriages. So it, for me, it was something that struck a chord and I thought, oh, this is actually needed. We need the first wave feminism and we need women to rise up and be loud and be heard to saying, you know, every woman has to be respected and women have to be protected because if anything, we are sort of, yes, I'll say it and I know people might be angry. We are sort of the weaker sex or the sex that needs a lot more protection and a lot more security. You know, anyone would would see that men should be the protectors in, in communities and women should sort of be the 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 softer part of the community or the hearts of the community, the ones that really make things go, you know, like like we, we are the ones that sort of socialize and, and civilize everyone while the men are there to protect us and put all the edges and, and the, the borders to keep us safe. So the women's rights movement in Africa should be, and I think in a way, in many communities, Matt, it is an integral part of society. So it's not something that you come and say, oh, we're the feminist group. No, it is in many women's groups. We already have many, many women's groups. So you find out that there is a strong desire in many of the African communities for the sisterhood, what you call the sisterhood, right? Where women tend to congregate together. My mother was a teacher through her career, through her, through her entire career, adult career. Um, and you find out there will be something like association of women teachers. There's always like as association of women doctors and association of nurses, you know. So it's a, it's there, there's a, a huge um, natural drive, an organic drive within our communities for women to unite. Because I think in that unity and in those unions women can actually support one another and that's what you find within those groups my mom is a member of so many of these groups I cannot keep count and it's usually like women's group you know association of this women's association of that um even in the churches it's all like women congregating and then within those women's movements you find as part of their of their, of their work and agenda the the desire or the appeal 
uh, and the work towards women being recognized and protected in society. So many times they're going out to kind of appeal for a, 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 a widow who has been denied something, or they're going out and they're trying to, to speak up for a woman who has been badly treated for one way or another by her husband's family or something like that, right? So it, it's something that I've found naturally inhabiting within many African communities that women congregate and within those women's groups, then the the, the, the the organic need for a women's protection movement in a way kind of grows out of that. And of course, when you say women's protection, of course, by, by right, girls also fall under that. So many of these groups take on things like speaking up when, when you have like child marriage trying to come up in some society or, or a girl is being denied some level of education and things like that. So I'm hoping that these groups get even stronger and more, more attentive in their mission and to know that their mission is actually quite important. But one thing, Matt, that I see, which is different than what I see in the West, is the fact that within these same groups, there is a strong um, support for family life, for motherhood, you know. So in the in in Women Association of Nigerian Teachers meeting up, they are celebrating the fact that they are women. They are celebrating the fact that many of them are wives. They are celebrating their motherhood. They are not even walking away one single bit or looking down on their mother, their role as mothers, their maternal role within society. So it is a movement that I think exists as women's group should exist. And if you read my book, Matt, when you get to that chapter, only chapter three in Target Africa. <laughs> I'm, I'm on chapter two, I'm on chapter two. <laughs> the next chapter, Matt. <laughs> it's, when you get to the chapter on feminism, you would see how much I enjoyed writing about it because this was a chapter that I think the publisher was just telling me. So I'm like, you know, you have to reduce what you're saying. Like, because I, I wanted to get into it that women, you know, women can meet together and unite for a particular purpose, which is uh, highly valuable and highly dignified. And what these women do not tolerate, and many of these groups, major women's associations in African countries, what they will not tolerate will be things like abortion, will be um, this kind of um, sort of uh, zest and zeal for women to live this individualistic existence where we are living without any protection of family life. Um, They are constantly um, sort of projecting this um, sort of this uh, view of the fact that we love the men in our lives, like we love our our husbands and our fathers and our sons and we value them. Um, But we also want to raise the level of dignity that is accorded to our women and our daughters. So it's the women's rights movement has existed in Africa for a long time. And this is my own, you know, this is, this is what I came, the conclusion I came to while I was researching and writing my, my book. But then on the edges, there is the feminist movement, the the so-called African feminist movement, which uh, started coming on, on the radar around um, the beginning of the millennium, you know, around 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, when the Maputo Protocol was written. The Maputo Protocol, for anybody who doesn't know, um, is a protocol, you know, it was a resolution or a, a, a resolution, one of the documents that was actually put together uh, by the African Union 
uh, on women, on the women's rights and people's rights, you know, on the African continent. And it had to do with a lot of these things that I actually spelled out and the fact that women have to be recognized, given good education, um, being able to get into any profession they want, to be able to inherit. That's a big thing. Be able to own land, which is also another big thing. But in the Article 4 of this uh, document, which was put together by the African Union in Maputo. Maputo is a part of Mozambique. So obviously they called it the Maputo Protocol. Um, they decided that they're going to just sneak it in after you've read up to uh, Article 14, which is quite a big document. So by the time you get to Article 14, probably you're tired. Someone like you, Matt, that you didn't even read my book past chapter two. <laughs> You probably would not read out to Article 14 of the Maputo yeah. Protocol, but in Article 14 of Maputo Protocol, they are asking for, guess what? The right to choose. Of course, of course. Abort- abortion rights, <laughs> bodily autonomy, reproductive justice, you know, contraception whenever they want. So this was a part of the document that once I read up to it, I could actually copy it and then paste on a software and you find out that it's almost word for word for with, with so many other things that have been written in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in France, at the United Nations, and in some of these other, you know, Western uh, citadels where all the all the rules are being made. So in other words, um, looking at the way the the African feminist movement came to be, how they have united themselves, how they have organized themselves, even up until now, very new movements. Their so-called charter, which is like a, a sort of a mandate that they have worked out of the so-called charter of feminist principles, you know, for African for African feminists, the kind of words that they use and the kind of statements and phrases that they put forward are things that have nothing to do with our African, you know, our African way of life, uh, our African views, our African values, our communities, our societies. They are talking about things like dismantling patriarchy, which I don't know what that means in the African context. They're talking about opposing the subversion of autonomous feminist spaces uh, to serve right-wing conservative agendas. What does that mean to an African? They are talking about the freedom of choice, including reproductive rights and abortion rights. What does that mean in the African context? This is all, it's, it's, it's language. It's all Western language. It's It's a foreign language. language. Like, is there there even such thing as right-wing, left-wing? So what what countries. is that? What it, does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that, that is such a that is such an American or at least a, a European now. More so it's such a Western concept. Yeah, it is totally Western. So when I read their their charter, I did a double take because this was a charter that had been completely plagiarized, if I can put it that way, plagiarized from the Western feminist movement and then they have now tagged at the top the feminist african feminist charter and put it out in 2006 where a a couple of women gathered in ghana and they decided oh yeah this is what our charter is going to be but who wrote this charter who advised you on the words where did they come from for goodness sake who sponsored it so i started doing this research on who who organized this gathering of women that came up with this whole african feminist movement and it was this organization called the awdf the african women's development fund 
fund is the end of their their name, right? So you <laughs> do a little research on their donor list. And Matt, let me read out their donor list for you. The donor list for the AWDF will include, and it will not only be limited to, the Gates Foundation, the Open Society Foundation, Judge Soros Society, the Ford Foundation, the Global Fund for Women, Mama Cash, um, Women's Foundation, Minnesota, Minnesota, Women's Funding Network USA, the DFID, the Norwegian government, UN Women, the Dutch MDG3. And I can tell you, this was a list that I got back in 2018. If you fast forward between 2018 and now, I can almost tell you without even looking back at that list to see the updates, that the Canadian government would definitely be at the top of that list. Because obviously, between 2018 and now, what the new thing that happened in the whole, uh, you know, in the background or at the backdrop of the feminist movement is that the fem- the, the Canadian government decided that they are now going to adopt this whole feminist assistance uh, foreign policy, which is now a thing. And of course, with all that money that Justin Trudeau has thrown in there, it is now going to be an even more powerful movement. So AWDF is a, an organization, an African, so-called African organization that is getting money from Western donors and Western donor funding streams, and they are using it to put forward charters and a, the core of a movement that is actually the the evil baby, if I can put it like that, of the, of the third wave movement, feminist movement of the West. So it's absolute rubbish. And I look forward to debating any woman, any African feminist who wants to come forward and debate so that we can know if they know the history of, of what they, their movement is all about, as well as the fact that they are even putting forward things that we can never, ever apply or implement in our day-to-day African living. Follow the money. That's what they say. When you follow follow the money, money, you will see (laughs) so much will be revealed. You know, that is, you know, when you're originally starting to talk about this, the kind of women's rights movement in the various African communities and how it's almost like the sisterhood of celebrating their motherhood, their families, but also trying to help and assist each other in, in, in kind of raising up everyone's dignity and worth and value in their community. It's like that is what feminism looks like when it's should done be. right. Yeah, when it, it that's be, how yeah. it should be, correct? And yes. then, of course, this and this always happens. You got the big bad wolf knocking on the door. <laughs> you know, this is about fifteen years ago, and now that wolf has infiltrated the house, and yes, they're completely and crazy. owns the house. Owns, owns the, the house. house. Oh my god! So gosh. where where do we go from here? Our toilets are not even ours. Our bathrooms are not <laughs> even ours. Our prisons are not even ours, Matt. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I, I, you know, I better not commit any crimes. I don't end up in prison where there'll be a bunch of men, a bunch of That's men right. there, right? <laughs> so it's like we oh are in this mess. But I love this topic, Matt. As you can tell, I've been talking nonstop. But this is a topic that I have talked very much on, and I wish that I could even do more work on feminism to expose. Uh, the ridiculousness of what has happened in the last hundred, in a space of hundred years of the movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, well, you know, the pro-life movement's there and we're trying to raise awareness about this. And yes. and I mean, you've done, in response to a lot of these uh, kind of like these, uh, these Western influenced fringe feminist groups in Africa, yeah. you've gone to, to various countries there and you've helped organize marches for life 
try to raise awareness and try to kind of um, not necessarily wake people up, but just let them let them know what is happening and that there's this infiltrate, this Western infiltration happening in their communities. By all means, uh, there was a, a couple, I think it was only during COVID, like two years ago. Um, I was part of, well, actually, I was the keynote speaker of an event that was an online event uh, that was held for a lot of the African academics uh, in a particular African country. I will not name for certain reasons, but there were all these women, African women who were on this forum. Um, and it was a very well attended presentation and eventually turned into a discussion lasted about two to three hours online Uh, and we were talking about the feminism and a lot of these African very highly educated women the problem they had Matt was the fact that I was I refused to bow to this term feminism you know to say you know feminism is good because they in in all innocence have been kind of raised or they've they've come to learn in this the pursuit of academics um that feminism is actually really really good because obviously the african societies a lot of the african societies especially in the rural areas they are still in these parts where you cannot help but notice that women there's a lot of work that must be done on behalf of women and girls so how could i then come out and say oh feminism is actually terrible so many of them were trying to debate me that you know we had this discussion back and forth and i'm trying to explain to them and eventually hopefully i hope everything turned out okay that i could make them understand that the problem is not trying to make women's lives better and bringing dignity actually i want that i am somebody who I think, you know, I've had a lot of privilege in my life and upbringing that I wanted to to get to every African girl, right? But I also really, really despise what has come, what we have inherited right now from the West. And they're trying to make us feel like, you know, feminism for all of us. No, feminism was developed by a bunch of Western women and they're trying to force feed it. They're trying to not just force feed it into our system. They're trying to inject it directly into our bloodstream. Directly, Matt. And then we don't even realize that we've consumed it, right? It's like somebody injecting something into your bloodstream. You do not, you do not actually understand that this steroid has gotten into your bloodstream uh, because you you never really you know took anything in the normal way right so yeah. it's it's it was the the difficulty i had in trying to make them understand that but at least i'm glad that we had that discussion and i'm glad to still continue having that discussion and raising that awareness so yes you're right i have done this in many many places i've done it in some african universities as well and it's always the female university students who always feel a bit offended by my position yeah. uh, in, in exposing uh, some of these things because many of them have not lived in the West. Many of them have not even read any of the Western feminists. I just say anybody who has any doubt, go back and read Betty Friedan's book. Go back and read Simone de, Bou- uh, Simone de Beauvoir, who was writing in the 1940s, who also kind of handed over the baton to, to someone like Betty Friedan. Women have some women have been fantastic influence on raising the dignity of women, but some women have also done some really dark work and their legacy still continues to be felt today, even if we don't know anything about some of the books and things that they've written in the past. Yeah, you know, I uh, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I do want to mention one thing. When I was at a conference a few years ago in New York, I uh, I was speaking to this uh, this woman from, I forgot what country in Africa she came from, but she was there on behalf of like a side event and it was a side event sponsored by 
I don't know. I think it was IPPF, so International Planned okay. Parenthood Federation. Federation, yeah. And I was just talking to her about like, hey, do, are you like, you know, what are you doing here? She says, oh, I'm here to represent women, the women's rights movement in my country. I'm like, oh, that's yes. great. Yeah. Uh, and but I and I said, you know, I noticed you're here with IPPF. Like, do you know that they support abortion? And she was she completely wouldn't. thrown back. Like, what? What do you mean they support <laughs> abortion? I'm not here to talk about abortion. I just want, you know, I want property rights for widows. That's, that, that's what she was talking about. She went there yeah. thinking that she is going to give a presentation about property rights and uh, the property rights and the need for some some social legal protections for widows for women yes and yet she was partnering she was invited by Planned Parenthood Federation that's it and, and you know why Planned Parenthood Federation they're they're not stupid they're smart people they know because yes. they're going to bring her in to show yes. everyone look we have african women on our side yeah you know, without that's telling right. her the complete truth about why she's really there they were using her that's she, it and, and in the end, way. I realized that I meet her and I had more in common than she and her and the IPPF exactly, exactly, yeah. Matt. <laughs> but this has been an amazing discussion today, Matt. But I'll say let's have more of it. And I just want to hearken to something you said earlier about the blue movement that was in Latin America. You know that is still in Latin America doing exceptional work. The pro life movement there yeah. that is opposing the green wave, which of course is the pro abortion movement. So I wanted to show you this. Oh, nice! <laughs> and yeah. I know people are only listening and they can't hear, but and they can't see me. They can only hear me. But I'm holding up the scarf, the my own baby blue scarf. I have two of these, by the way, Matt, if you want to buy one. I'll sell it. <laughs> I'll sell it for $1,000. But honestly, some of my beautiful Latin American friends had given me this beautiful blue scarf um, in commemoration of their movement, which says, Salvamos las dos vidas. Let's save the two lives, the That's mom and the baby. So I, whenever I'm doing anything with the Latin Americans online, I usually just <laughs> you put blue the scarf. scarf. <laughs> you know, we should, you know, uh, we should see, um, uh, let's see in the show notes. Uh, you should take yes. a picture, a selfie of yourself with the blue scarf and we'll add it in the show notes. We'll Good. see if that's possible to do. And, we'll uh, do that. <laughs> so all you uh, listeners out there will get a chance to see Uju wearing one of the beautiful baby blue, blue wave, scarf. like baby blue scarves from the blue wave. That's awesome. Okay, Uju, our time is running out. Um, oh. You know, uh, you mentioned you've been doing these presentations. You spoke to these uh, female academics in this African country. And now there is also a full episode on Focused on Life talking about this issue. So there you go. You keep talking about it. You keep promoting it. And you keep speaking the truth and raising awareness. And that's why uh, we launched this podcast. That's right. If uh, you enjoyed what we had to say today, if you have any questions, any comments or feedback, please, please, please email us at focusonlifepodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, focusedonlifepodcast.com. And there you can find a list of all our other previous episodes. You can find us on all the main platforms where you can download podcasts. Please, please, please subscribe. And if you do subscribe and if you listen and you like what you listen to, please give us you know, a nice five-star rating or leave some reviews, some positive reviews or negative ones. It's all good. And um, yeah, and I think that's about it. And we can't wait to uh, to bring you our next episode in uh, maybe in a week or two. Wonderful. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to us today. We hope you learned something. We hope you're going to go out there and just be an advocate for women, a real advocate for women's rights. Um, and uh, please just wonderful. 
Thank you, Matt. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to us today. We hope you learned something. We hope you're going to go out there and just be an advocate for women, a real advocate for women's rights. Um, And uh, please just keep focusing on all that is important. Stay focused on life.